my first year uh, of marriage was probably the best educational experience of my life. And uh, I learned more about myself and my wife and all those things in the previous uh, five years that we had dated. Um, and part of that education was uh, learning what my, life, my wife had already learned. So knowing what she knew. And so we'd stumble into these things where I'd assume that she knew that or she assumed that I knew something. And then we'd find, oh, the, you don't actually know that. So I learned that my wife hadn't watched many movies uh, that I deemed as classic movies. And so I kind of started my educational process for her. She didn't know a lot about sports. Uh, she grew up in a family of only girls, um, which meant she just wasn't exposed to certain things that boys uh, did and smelled like and those kind of things. So she probably thought she, she married a barbarian the first year, but we, she slowly figured out, like, some of these things are normal, things that guys do. Um, she learned quickly. I didn't know a lot about cooking or uh, certain relational cues or just a lot of little thing details in life that I just I didn't know. So when he registered for wedding gifts, they were shams. Shams? Those are the fake pillows, right? Like the ones you're not supposed to sleep on. And so we were registering for those, and she, she said, we need to register for those. I said, well, you can have one of those, but I'm not getting one of those. I don't need one. He's like, no, you, you order them as a pair. You're supposed to have, so they match. And so we had this whole debate. So I, my first year of marriage was just kind of learning what she had already learned or uh, knowing what she knew or, and vice versa. I was learning what the other knew. So for the next, uh, the reason I share that story is for the next uh, month and a half or so, Tim and I are going to be revi- revisiting some of the teaching we had done uh, with our former uh, life as two churches And the main reason we're doing that is so that uh, we can all hear what half have heard. Okay? Does that make sense? So in this first year of a ministry marriage, we felt like that would be important. It would be kind of solidifying. Um, It does assume that there's some remembrance of that, which may be an assumption. Um, So it may sound new to all of you. um, But this will help us, too, just kind of catch our breath a little bit um, uh, as pastors, as we've been pressing pretty hard since before the time of the merger, and so uh, it's, been, it's been real refreshing uh, looking back. We hope that these messages encourage you, they, they unify us, and do all that, that they're intended to do. So what I'd like to teach on this morning is, is something that I think is so fundamental to living the Christian life and also living in community, um, and that's by looking at what you've been mentioned before, and that's gratitude, by looking at gratitude. And you might think, really, of the hundreds of sermons that you have done, you would choose to talk on that, and that's a theme you'd want to hit. I'd say, yeah, it is. This is one of the very first sermons that uh, I had preached at Calvary way back in 2005, but since then, as we've gone through books of the Bible, just little things have been added to it and added to it and added to it, and I've just seen again and again how important gratitude is in living for Christ. So here's our point this morning. It's this. Gratitude is the natural and ongoing response to being saved by Jesus. Gratitude is the natural and ongoing response to being saved by Jesus. Gratitude might seem like a sidebar issue, like a topping, like something that just uh, optimistic people do. Um, But it's one of the most stabilizing and sanctifying things, I think, in the life of a Christian. And you could get at this from many different books in the Bible. We're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians this morning. 
And so our reading is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to pull from a lot of different parts of Colossians. Uh, and so, uh, so that you can see that thanksgiving and gratitude is just woven throughout this letter. So let's go ahead and stand it. I'm going to read for us different selections from the book of Colossians. It should be listed there, but it might even be more beneficial just to, um, if we have the text on the screen, it's great, or just to hear uh, the many different references to this. So here's where we're going to start out. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 and 9 through 14, and we'll get into a few others. It says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of this hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Skip down to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through Him. You can have a seat. It's God's Word to us. So, this morning, we're going to break down that, that summary sentence into two different points and then talk about implications. First, we're going to see that gratitude is the natural response to being saved by Jesus. Okay, so initially, kind of the upfront part. But then secondly, gratitude is evidence of genuinely following Jesus. And then we'll look at some implications about how to grow in gratitude. So first, gratitude is the natural response to being saved by Jesus. If you look at chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, that little portion that we read, a lot of people think that's the summary, that's kind of the point of Colossians. Because Paul's writing to this church he hasn't actually likely been to, but has heard about through this man Epaphras that we hear about in this letter. And what he's trying to do is to stabilize this church, to stabilize them in Christ. Some are pushing for this uh, empty philosophy, is what he calls it, or this asceticism, um, which is kind of a human solution to kind of taming the flesh. And so he's coming in, trying to provide some stability to this uh, body. And so he says in chapter 2, verse 6, in this summary statement for the whole letter, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
You think, well, what, what should that look like? What, what did it look like when I first came to the Lord? And then what, what of that should continue as I walk with him? It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. It kind of grounded in Christ and the truth of who Christ is. But then it says, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So there's this sense in which when we first met Christ, there's this, there's this explosion of joy, right? Do you remember what that was like? When your heart figured out what Jesus had done for you personally. When, when those dots connected and you got it in your head, and that just came alive to you and you saw what he did for the first time. Do you remember that? When the eyes and the blinders came off and you saw Paul is saying that that, that's true of us when we receive Christ, but it's also true of us as we walk in him. This thanksgiving, this gratitude is going to continue in us as he works. See, there's a relationship between our gratitude for the work of Christ and the rest of our Christian life. This is why the New Testament writers constantly refer back to what Jesus has done, what God has done through Christ on the cross, and they do that to Christians have you ever thought about that? Why does God, or why does Paul and Peter and these other guys talk so much about the gospel and that central work of Christ? It's because they know that a thousand things flow from that. And one of them is gratitude in our life that continues. And if we lose sight of that cross, if we lose sight of the tomb, if we move on from that, our walk with Christ will be hindered. Guaranteed. One example of, of that kind of a, a, a move on the part of the New Testament writers is this prayer that we have in chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. If you look back at that, what we read, and see what Paul specifically prays, um, he's, he's giving thanks for them, obviously, in that whole section from 9 to 14. And he could have stopped after verse 12 when he said, uh, Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, period. And he could have ended it there, but he chooses to continue because he just can't help himself because he wants to explain again why it is that we're supposed to give thanks to the Father. And he says, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered you. He's, he's traded kingdoms with you. And so he gives a reason for that. He says, the God you've offended, the God whose presence you did not desire. You were perfectly uh, okay outside of Eden. This is the God who at great cost to himself personally satisfies his own justice by dying in order to give you the qualification so you can be in the kingdom of his son. He insists that we will be beneficiaries of his inheritance. It's an amazing thing that God has done that, that the Father is like that. That's, we should give thanks for that, right? Amen. That God's done that. And so Paul just stops and he says, let me just remind them again. Why should they give thanks to the Father? Well, because you've been traded to a different kingdom because of his grace. So the first and normal response to rescue is thankfulness. And it's such a basic thing that you could actually divide up humanity, not just in how, uh, how people think, but how people thank. 
Thankfulness is so fundamental to being a worshiper of God that Romans 1 says this. This is a key test for knowing where you stand with God. Romans 1.21 says, For although they who rejected God knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see that? At the bottom, at the base of knowing God, of knowing what he's done, is gratitude. So that if there's not gratitude, if there's not thankfulness, if there's no trace of that, I think Romans is saying that that's so basic that it tells us about where we're at with God. That's the natural response. It's a natural response, but it's a supernatural work, Right? And that's why it's such a natural response to be thankful, because God did it. And we're hardwired to make sure that people who deserve thanks get it. We're hardwired to do that. There was a story that came out from the recent fires about a couple, Allison Reynolds and David Trezise, I guess how you say it. They live in the Bennett Valley area, and they woke up, and they smelled smoke, and they got out and looked around, and there's fire all around. It's 4.30 in the morning, they didn't know what to do, they didn't think they could drive out, and so they went to the end of their driveway and were just kind of shocked and panicked and didn't know what to do. And this blue-green forester drives up with this 19-year-old kid driving it and parks in front of their uh, driveway. And this lady, Allison, was shocked, and she asked, what are you doing here? And she said, the young man calmly replied, go get your car and follow me out. So he took them and guided them out to a safe spot, and the group hugged, and this young guy took off. And, and after the fires, this couple went searching for him. They sent over 100 emails to their neighbors. They contacted uh, fire, police. They put an ad in the newspaper, which the Press Democrat picked up and ran a story on it, just to track down this 19-year-old kid, uh, Miles Blakesley, whose mom heard about it and contacted him. And of course, Facebook was the means by which uh, he reached out to them and they got together, and he met at the couple's home, and they finally got to each other. But think about how desperate they were to get the rightful thanks to the rightful owner of that thanks. And that's because we're hardwired to make sure that our thanks gets home. And if we're so desperate to, to get thanks for, for things like that, which obviously is an extreme example, but when you think about what God has done in Christ, how hungry are we to... to to make sure that, that that thanks gets chased back to him and rooted back in who God is. Gratitude is the natural response for being supernaturally saved through Jesus. It's our north star. It's our home base. It's our constant source for gratitude. But it's not only the kind of the upfront uh, response to salvation. It's also the ongoing response. It's evidence that a person is genuinely following Jesus. And where I see that in Colossians is if you look at chapter 1 in 9 through 14 again, you know, he's been praying and thanking God in verses 3 through 8 that this gospel's growing and it's growing everywhere. And it, it got to the Colossians through this man named Epaphras who was a co-worker of, of Paul's. And so then he uh, explains how he's praying for them in verses 9 through 14. But the way that he prays is interesting. Look at what, it, what he says, um, starting in verse, uh, verse 9. 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wow. That they, their knowledge and their, their, they would get it. They'd have spiritual insight. And then he says why he wants them to have that. He says, verse 10, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Wow. So he wants them to be filled with a certain kind of knowledge and spiritual insight so that their lives will correspond to that knowledge. They'll walk in a way that, that matches up with what they understand about the gospel. Does that make sense? I mean, that's a big prayer for a church, right? You, spiritual insight so that your life would reflect that. But look at how he explains how that worthy walk or how that lifestyle is going to show itself in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What? Wow. God's going to help him do something. What is he going to help him do? For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. He's praying they'd have spiritual insight so that their lives would, corres- their lives would correspond to that gospel. And the way that he knows that their life is going to correspond to that gospel is if they're enduring with joy and if they're giving thanks. You might not have thought that that's how that prayer actually cashes out. And shows itself, where Paul would say, the evidence I'm looking for is gratitude. If I see gratitude, I know something about their life, and I know, I know something about what they know. Because it's that central, it's that important. Gratitude is the proof of knowing the will of God. It's proof of living in a way that matches up with the gospel. And that makes sense because Paul says, like we said in our reflection verse, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We, we want to know the will of God so badly. And then we read verses like that and go, oh, huh. <laughs> I want to know God's will, but being thankful just didn't seem like all that important. But it is. Look at chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, to see this ongoing uh, necessity of gratitude. And his list um, that he gives there by, of all these things to put on, he, he, thankfulness, you'll notice, kind of ramps up towards the end. It's really the result of having this peace of Christ or having this word of Christ dwell in them richly. What results from that, the fruit from that, is going to be this gratitude. So it says, um, starting in 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I think that gratitude, that thankfulness, contributes to that peace of Christ. And there's kind of a back and forth between those things. But then he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And he explains that's through songs and hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How do you know if the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly? It's hearts of thankfulness, he says, will be a a tell, a way that you know. So if if the peace of Christ is present, if the word of Christ is dwelling richly, then gratitude's not going to be far away. It's going to be in that environment as well. 
So gratitude is so important. It's the end result of these things. Now, gratitude's not a fruit of the Spirit from Galatians. It's not on the list of things Paul says to put on in verse 12. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But there is a little bit of gratitude, I think, in the backdrop of verse 12. Because look at what he says. He could have just said, put on then compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And just kind of jumped into the list. But what does he do? Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Then put on compassion, kindness. Be aware of who you are, your identity in Christ. Now the question is, why did he put that in there? What effect are those little phrases supposed to have in helping the Colossians put that stuff on? Well, I think it's because remembering that God chose them will add to their humility, right? 1 Corinthians says God chose what's foolish and weak and despised in the eyes of the world, like he picks the low rungers on purpose. That's how he chooses us, and we're grateful for that for that sovereign move of his spirit. If we remember that we've been set apart and radically loved, it'll help them put these things on, right? Because being compassionate and kind and meek and gentle is not always easy, right? But if you're mindful of God's compassion and kindness and forgiveness towards you, it's a lot easier to put those things on, isn't it? So I think gratitude, gratitude for what God has done in Christ, I think informs even how we put those things on. I know when, when I'm dwelling on what God has done for me in Christ, I, I'm different with people. I've got a little more margin, a little more buffer, a little more swallow hard, you know? A little more interest in what would benefit them the most. A, a little more compassion for their situation. A little more understanding of how deceitful sin is. Because I've, I've remembered mine before God. It just affects how we minister to one another. So gratitude may not be on that list of things to put on, but I think it's there lurking in the backdrop as a motive for how we are to actually put those things on. Remember that, that Paul says... In chapter 3, um, in verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. So that includes the compassion you show and the kindness you show and the meekness that you demonstrate. In those things, there's a gratitude. Because it says, whatever you do, and whenever it happens, make sure those, those things are a part of it. So, Gratitude, I, I think, is, is something that really moves us naturally towards humility. Because gratitude kind of puts you in a posture of receiving, doesn't it? Normally, if you're receiving like an inheritance, if you're receiving the salt being passed from the other end of the table, if you're receiving a, a hug when you're sad, you're, you're grateful because you're receiving. And so gratitude comes from our knowledge of what God has given to us, and it tempers our pride, doesn't it? If you, can, if you don't play that mind game of just demonizing other people when they do something that rubs you the wrong way and you start kind of creating that list of and they've done these 20 other things that are wrong. But if you're appreciating people as you go, you won't be as tempted to kind of demonize them and, and live in that fantasy, but you'll be able to embrace the reality of the complexity. 
people are, there's, there's good things about that person that I'm grateful for, right? There's things that bug me and that are problematic, and, but there's genuine things to be grateful for. And if we communicate that right mixture of those things, then when we need to admonish, when we need to correct, when we need to come alongside someone and, and help them understand something that's difficult, but we have tilled that ground with appreciation and generosity and grace, do you know much how, more, how much more fruitful it is to go to a person with something difficult when you've laid that groundwork? I remember a, a lady in, in youth ministry, and for the longest time she drove me nuts. It wasn't here, fortunately. It's hundreds of miles away down to Los Angeles. Um, she'll remain nameless, but man, it was just like every little thing we did, there was something wrong with it, and it, and it was just like beep, beep, nitpicky, you know, all day long. But she'd send these little notes in the mail, these little thank you encouraging notes. And so I was just like always forced to, to deal with this because it's not just all negative, you know, and it kind of opened me up more to what she was saying. And it, she didn't just kind of, you know, throw me under the bus over and over and over again. There was a mixture there. It was... I really appreciate what you, what you do. And then, so there's a, we need to have wisdom as we interact with one another, as we bear with one another, in terms of encouragement and also correction. And gratitude just helps so much in those interactions. So to sum up what we're saying, but, and we'll talk about some implications, gratitude is the natural and ongoing response to being saved by Jesus. It's not God forcing you to say, thank you, God. Sure. It's just not the way that it's meant. It's, 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 a, it's a telling thing. It shows us our heart's condition. It shows us where we're at with God. And if we're growing in Him, gratitude is not an optional quality. It's central. It's essential. It's necessary. Okay? So, if gratitude is this natural, ongoing response, then how do we grow in it? How do we grow in it? I want to give you three questions to consider. We'll spend most of our time on the first one. And then the last two we'll, we'll move through pretty quickly. Three questions to consider. The first one is, do you have all-weather gratitude? Do you have all-weather gratitude? Frederick Buchner says, we are constantly putting on and taking off coats and hats against the world's weather. I like that image because it feels like in life, it starts to rain suddenly, and you're there in shorts and a t-shirt, and you're oh, bugged, and you're wet, and you're cold. And then as soon as you bundle up and get all ready for it, and the sun comes out, and 30 seconds later, you're hot, itchy, and you're irritated. And life just feels like sometimes you're a half an hour behind, you know? And you're just never going to catch up. And the typical gratitude game is weighing circumstances against one another. That's typically how we think gratitude works. I brought a little illustration of this. Hopefully this will work. I made this in like five minutes before and this morning. So if it doesn't, be gracious to me. Okay. Um, normally we, we approach gratitude as kind of the scale, right? Scale of one by two in Costco bowls, but as a scale. What we do, gravel from the playground, as things come along and you get a bonus at work, right? And so you're grateful. And so you put some rocks on that side. And then your, your extended family does something weird. And you're like, how did I get stuck on planet Earth with these people? 
and you're going this direction. And maybe it evens it out, but then you know, the car breaks down and you have to fix our AC, which is, anyway, I won't get into that, but um, that one's a personal example, okay? Um, but more positive things happen, right? You get a call from your, your kid's teacher. Hey, your kid's doing great, and you're just you're feeling good, right? Circumstances are rolling this way, and it's just this back and forth between gratitude, and, and it just feels like you're out of control of it because it's just your circumstances that are doing it, right? This is the gratitude game. This is what the, the, the temptation is, just to make gratitude all about these different situations, and all you're trying to do is just add a little bit more towards the grateful direction, or the, and then things come along, and they, it's just back and forth and back and forth. And I think this picture is what we're stuck with without Christ, honestly. And if you don't know Christ this morning and you're struggling to find a consistent gratitude and contentment, I think you're struggling with that because all you got is gravel. And it's just happening to you. And it's very, very difficult to have anything substantial enough and weighty enough to really feel like your gratitude can last before something else comes along and, and takes it away from you. And this is the game, right? In saying, I want to talk to those of you who may not be Christians for just a minute, okay, if you're here. Because I think there's a mistake that you could make by saying that gratitude is a natural reaction. You might make the mistake of thinking that you can be grateful to God in a natural sense as a human being. And that's not true. You actually can't do that. Our natural uh, reaction is pride and self-congratulation. That's what we naturally do. See what I did. Isn't that, that's just our default response when we're born, right? We take the credit. And when things go bad, we blame and we complain about it. That's what we do. So gratitude is the natural response, but it's the natural response to God's supernatural work. Okay? And that's what's required to understand that. So that means in order to thank God appropriately and consistently, you need to be able to interpret God's actions in human history correctly. You need to understand what he's done through his clearest action, which was sending God, the Son, to earth to obey his will and to die on a cross for, for sin and to rise again from the tomb. When you look at Jesus and, and what you see is your spiritual tell. That's how you know where you're at with God. It's like the eye test at the doctor's office. He's like that for your spiritual condition. So, how do you know if you have spiritual sight? Do you believe that God came to earth as a human being? Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth obeyed perfectly? Do you interpret the cross correctly? Do you understand that it was a satisfaction, a paying, a, 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 a payment for sin? Do you understand that the empty tomb means that sin and death and our enemy have been defeated? See, you can't have all-weather gratitude without Christ. Because for the Christian, what the gospel does and what Christ does is this. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't always feel this way, right? Right? But objectively, when you look at the sum of your life and you look at the goods and the bads and all those lists, and if you consider what God has done in Christ, there's a reason why Paul can actually say with authority to give thanks in all circumstances. 
I mean, that is a gutsy thing to say if there's not something substantial enough to ground that. And that's a guy who was beaten and thrown in the ocean and left for dead and all this stuff. So he's writing this letter in Colossians from prison. So that helps us to understand this is a guy who's familiar with struggle and with difficulty and suffering. And he's still saying that we can give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't always feel that way. But that's the objective picture for gratitude for the Christian. It really is. And so let me talk to those of you who are saved for a moment and just ask you, is there a stability to your gratitude? When you're assaulted, right, and the gravel starts piling up with difficulty and disappointment or sin, or can you, can you retreat to a place of gratitude? Is there a home base, like a north star? Is there a, a way that you can can acclimate yourself to your surroundings so that you can find gratitude again. I think one of the ways that we do this is by really delighting in the implications of what Jesus has done. It's one thing to say, God died for your sin, but but there's a thousand ways that the Bible talks about that that we can choose to stop and delight in. Okay? Like, we have been forgiven in such a way that has exhausted God's wrath towards us. Have you thought of thought, spent some time thinking about that? We enjoy an indestructible, righteous standing with God because of Jesus. We have been adopted into God's family and we're citizens of heaven. We have a new identification, a new family is the church. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, which means God is near and He's willing to help. We have an inheritance that cannot be taken away, that our God guards it by giving us faith and sealing us with the Holy Spirit. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're free to obey. We've been invited into the most significant work in human history, which is the spread of the gospel on planet Earth. So you can just say, yeah, Jesus died for you, and you should be thankful for that. Or you can unwrap that and, and think about each one of those individual things for a while and appreciate it and delight it and let your heart be rejuvenated with it. We have to think. We have to think in order to thank him. So what's one example of this? Do you remember when the disciples returned from their short-term mission trip in Luke 10? And they went out and they were given powers to heal and they did that and they came back and they were so excited, right? The demons were subject to us in, in your name. And Jesus tells them he saw Satan fall in similar fashion. He, he reiterates his authority that he's given to them. But then he says, nevertheless, do you rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you? But rejoice, or do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Guys, it's good that you're exercising the authority I gave you, but just stop and think about this. Your name is written in heaven. When your job fails you and you do something stupid at work and you're going to bear the consequences for that, it's good to know that your name is written in heaven. When your spouse you don't feel like is holding up their end of the bargain and you're, you're kind of stuck there holding the bag and, and you feel that way, it's good to know that your name is written in heaven. So these individual strands and realities of, of results of what Christ has done are so important that we, we take time to meditate on and think about. Like your name being written in heaven. This takes time and energy to survey this inheritance that we have in Christ, right? You're not just, you don't wake up thinking about that kind of stuff. 
But it means we need to be in Scripture. It means we need to wear down the paths to his word as we suffer. Returning again and again and again. What did God do in Christ? Our capacity to be grateful is directly related to our understanding of the inheritance we have in Christ. I am persuaded of that more than ever before. We have to know what God has done in Christ for us. We have to know that to survive as Christians. To endure and to do well. To be faithful to Him. But all weather gratitude isn't just stormy times. It's also in good weather as well. There are other ways to expand our gratitude capacity beyond just suffering. Sometimes our thankfulness wanes the most when life is best. You ever notice that? When things get good, we kind of get forgetful that it was God who gave us those gifts. Two suggestions to counter that. To practice thankfulness for the mundane. Practice thankfulness for the mundane is the first. You know, we don't lack opportunity to give, to give God thanks for things. I read an intriguing book a few years back called A Thousand Gifts, One Thousand Gifts by Ann Voskamp. I'd commend it to you. It's a story of how she was challenged to write a list of a thousand things that she was grateful for to God. And in it, she reflects on Philippians 4.11 when Paul says in NIV, I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I have learned to be content. And so she says, I want to learn how to do that. And a quote, here's a quote from one of her books. This book, 1,000 Gifts, she says, I too had read it often, the oft-quoted verse, and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I too would nod and say straight-faced, I'm thankful for everything. But in this counting gifts to 1,000 more, I discover that slapping a sloppy brush of thanksgiving over everything in my life leaves me deeply thankful for very few things in my life. A lifetime of sermons on thanks in all things and the shelves sagging with books on these things. And I testify, life-changing gratitude does not fasten to a life unless nailed through with one very specific nail at a time. I just commend that as a practice to you, to notice things around you. The created things that God made in order to bring us joy, to remind us of his faithfulness, to remind us of what he's like. Another uh, author who I really appreciate, a man named Joe Rigney, wrote a book called The Things of Earth, and he says this, Created reality brings God's perfections home to us in ways that are visible, concrete, and particular. They keep God's attributes and characteristics from being mere abstractions because it's impossible for us to love a list of qualities. God is a person, not an alphanumeric list of attributes, and thus he reveals himself in and through his mighty works, by creation around us. He says, all of God's gifts have been given to us, not only that we might enjoy them, but so that they might prove fruitful in our lives. Ever thought about that? The little joys of looking at the stars good food, that those things are supposed to prove fruitful in us. So these are opportunities we must not spoil, but seize as God gives them to us, to give him thanks. So practice thankfulness for the mundane when there's good seasons, and also expand the boundaries of what you're thankful for is the second thing. Expand the boundaries of what you're thankful for. So many times I struggle to be grateful because all I'm looking at is me. 
And all I'm thinking about is what's happened in the last two hours of my life. And you notice in Colossians, when Paul is thanking God, it's for other people. He's saying, God, I thank you for the love and the faith that's evident in these believers. And he's full of thanks for things not himself. All the time in the Bible, if you read the New Testament. His main source of thanks. And you think, well, yeah, he's writing letters to other people. True. That's fair. Okay, that's a fair criticism. Uh, but he is constantly giving thanks for other people. And I just wonder if somehow my shrunken gratitude is related to the fact that my, uh, my raw material list is a little too short. And could I thank God for what, for what he's doing in Wilbur's life and for what he's doing through testimonies that you hear in the church and how he's helping people persevere? Will my gratitude to God grow as I expand what I can be grateful for? That includes other people. So, do you have all-weather gratitude? I told you that first one was going to be the longest. The next two are going to be shorter, okay? The second question is, are you fighting for a grateful heart? Are you fighting for a grateful heart? Gratitude has enemies. There's viruses to our thankfulness that come along, like complaining. In Philippians 2, Paul says that one of the defining differences between children of light in a dark culture, is that they don't complain. And that is such a daily paragraph to me in the New Testament. It's so corrective. And it makes sense, right? I mean, if this is the situation, and we're complaining all the time, people look at that and go, that rock must not be all that heavy. If complaint is what characterizes our lives, right? So it's one of, the, one of the things that can kill our gratitude is complaint. Legalism can also kill our joy. Some people think if you just abstain from enough things that it makes you holy. The Colossians have struggled with that. In chapter 2, uh, verse 20, submitting to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Paul says, these have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, you don't grow in gratitude by denying the gifts that God gives you. <laughs> That's not how that works. It doesn't make you more thankful. So legalism can, can harness us. One author says, one way to address idolatry is to seek to thin out creation, to hold it loosely like a hot potato and be wary of its delights and pleasures. But the Christian doesn't have to do that because we know where those things came from. So, complaint, legalism, anxiety also. You know, from Philippians 4 is a, is a gratitude killer because we can just get so absorbed and get so tunnel vision with, with what's going on and forget all about the objective realities of the gospel. Right? One author says, sin just separates. It divides in order to destroy. It tears asunder and leaves the fragments scattered on the ground. The separation of gift from giver ruins our enjoyment of both. C.S. Lewis was fond of noting that if we put first things first, we get second things thrown in. If we put second things first, we lose both the first and second things. Idolatry is insane precisely because it ruins the enjoyment of the gift that we've turned into a god. So we must be wary of those weeds that can kind of grow in the, in the garden of, of gratitude. So the second, and that's a fight. That's why I asked the question that way. Are you fighting for a grateful heart? Last question, are you personalizing your gratitude? 
Are you personalizing your gratitude? John Piper, in an article called How Not to Commit Idolatry in Giving Thanks, which is a great title, by the way, but he says this, If we only thank people for the gifts they give us, we are using them. God is not glorified if the foundation of our gratitude is the worth of the gift and not the excellency of the giver. If gratitude is not rooted in the beauty of God before the gift, it's probably disguised idolatry. See, the difference between the atheist and the Christian is we know who to, who to write the thank you card to. We know from whom all these things come. And so we have to chase those things that we enjoy so much back to the goodness of God. You ever wonder why there's times when difficulty comes and we start to question the goodness of God? You know, I've done that. I know a lot of people do that. It's kind of a natural reaction to suffering. But if a million times over we're saying, this good thing that I've just enjoyed came from a good God, and we continue to chase that back to Him, when those times of difficulty come, we'll at least have evidence on the other side saying, no, 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 God's been good to us, right? There's a million examples of how that's true. Prayer can be a context for this, a context for thanking God directly. I'd encourage you just to spend a time of prayer in thankfulness, and that's it. Don't ask for anything. Don't, don't do anything else. Just spend some time thanking God for what he's done for you and for what he's done in Christ. I thought about this as a, it's, a, it's a bit like and being grateful but not thank, taking it back to God is thinking that the mailman is the person who just brings all these things to your house and holding him personally responsible. So like packages that I get from Amazon or whatever and thinking that they came from him or bills that are thousands of dollars, thinking that they came from him, and, and blaming that mailman, and, and honoring that mailman, and thanking him. And it would be ridiculous to do that, right? Because those things are from other sources, and he's just kind of the messenger. But so often in our life, when we give thanks, we just kind of let it stop short, and we, we don't carry it on, and we don't trace it all the way back to what God has done, and the God that we serve. So those are the three questions. I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would prod you in this week. Do you have all-weather gratitude? Are you fighting for a grateful heart? And are you personalizing your gratitude towards God? As we uh, wrap up, why don't we just sing something together? Okay? As the worship team comes on up, um, they can kind of get ready to lead us in this last song. But I'd like for us to stand and just sing... God, you're so good. You know that song? I'm just going to sing that as a prayer to him. Let's confess that to him. Let's uh, use that as an opportunity to be thankful uh, to him and confess what is true. Uh, even though our hearts may in different, be, di be in different places, um, let's just do that together uh, to enjoy him. So let's sing. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good, you're so good to us. Sing it again. God, you're so good, God, you're so good, God, you're so good, you're so prayer of our hearts this week.